This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Why do I have a uh, echo? All right, anyway, come in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak in a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Kajina is... The technical producer, Ryan White, is the live stream producer. Well, Happy New Year. My first live show of 2022. You know, there's an old English tradition. New Year's Day, just after midnight. We open the front door. And we let that cold air come in. We welcome in the new year. And we usher out the old year. This New Year's Eve... We frog march 2021 out the front door like a bouncer tossing out an unruly bar patron. Here's your hat. What's your hurry? Coming up in the second hour, author folklorist Steve E. Asher will be here with more strange tales from the great state of Kentucky. His new book just out hours ago, as a matter of fact, is More Curious Counties of Kentucky. This hour, well, the last two years, let's face it, have been pretty miserable. Now, I happen to believe this latest variant, Omicron, uh, which has proven to be more infectious but far less deadly, could be the end of COVID. This is typically how pandemics end, with a whimper. It's hard to say. There are some positive signs. Some politicians in some jurisdictions finally getting the message that the people have had enough. In other jurisdictions, tyrannical governments seem to be doubling and even tripling down on lockdowns and vaccine mandates. So is that a light at the end of a tunnel or an oncoming train? Perhaps we'll find out this hour when Canada's Edgar Cayce, the man with X-ray eyes, joins us with his predictions and visions for the year ahead. Douglas James Cottrell, PhD, is known as a trans clairvoyant. He's a spiritual healer, teacher, and published author who demonstrates many abilities studied by noetic sciences, the study of consciousness, including clairvoyance, telepathy, 
energy healing, remote viewing, predictions and prophecies. He's one of a select few able to demonstrate all of these abilities and even fewer who are considered a reliable information source. He teaches people the world over about spiritual development through the practice of meditation and the application of spiritual principles in daily life. He's the author of numerous books, including Secrets of Life, The Complete New Age Health Guide, The New Earth, A Prophetic View of Our Future, Gems of Wisdom, and Conversations with the Akashic Field. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, I presume. How are you? Happy New Year. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show again with you, Richard. I was reminiscing about the many, many times we've been on the show, uh, coast to coast, your home show in Toronto. Um, as everybody knows, uh, you've been, well, you're an icon in the conspiracy show business or radio business, and I've had the pleasure of uh, being with you on many occasions. And yet again, here we are again, a few years down the road, a little older, perhaps wiser, but it's a pleasure, and I'm in good shape. Thank you for asking. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Any um, any New Year traditions at the Cottrell household? You mean any uh, of those, you know, wake up in the morning and say, I'm never going to drink again, kind of? Uh... <laughs> well, resolutions could be one, but just, uh, I mentioned this old English tradition. Maybe other cultures share it as well. You open that front door at midnight, you, uh, you let the cool air in, the new year in, you, you usher the old one out. Uh, some people have, you know, I've, some people write certain promises down on a piece of paper and then they light it on fire. Uh, you know, just simple little curious traditions that people have. Sometimes it's very personal. Well, uh, in answering that, uh, just after the stroke of midnight, I finished my uh, um, Global Village radio show on Blog Talk Network and I went to bed and I prayed. And I asked for things to happen to me, better health, uh, and additional things in my career and my being of service. And so I prayed. And I think everyone should start the year off with that, uh, asking the universe, asking the cosmos, asking God Almighty uh, for a good year. So, if you will, that was my opening the door allowing that cool, fresh breeze of change to come into my life. Well, we could all use uh, some prayers, certainly. Uh, we've talked over the years about your method of going into a, a deep meditative trance, a quantum meditation, like Edgar Casey. how physically taxing that is. Uh, and, and this is the method that you use to, I guess, get in touch with the Akashic field. Do you st are you still able to do that because it well, is so physically demanding? Yes, I, I, I am still able. I don't need to. Uh, the idea that entering into a state of meditation, which is uh, a revelation type of meditation, as opposed to vegetation or just simply relaxing, you know, the, the getting rid of all the things in your mind, getting the monkey mind out of the way and, and letting all the frustrations of the day go away. But getting into that point where you can look beyond the present and into the future, uh, going faraway places like Edgar Casey and Ross Peterson, who was my mentor, and Paul Solomon were more than capable of doing. You enter into that state of meditation, which is the building block. It's the cornerstone. It allows you to uh, get in touch with the intuitive spiritual gifts 
And by the way, uh, as, as an interfaith minister, I'm a Christian, professed Christian, and we have a uh, church, many mansions, uh, church and seminary. We've had that for, for years, where we take our guidance from the book of Corinthians, which talks about spiritual gifts. So everything that I do or talk about or teach or, or give an example of the intuitive noetic sciences, if you will, consciousness or gifts, it's all recorded in the book of Corinthians. And you don't have to, you know, extrapolate or interpret. It's in black and white. So the idea of being uh, somewhat of a, of a prophet, if you will, being able to see, uh, in the, see the future or seeing through time and seeing through uh, time and space, such as remote viewing and mind projection. And, uh, and as you know, we've been on shows on Coast to Coast where we've actually had the audience have some remarkable experiences at actually doing that, seeing an object on my desk from hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. That ability, that, that uh, technique of entering into a state of deep relaxation and then entering into a state of deep meditation, into the, the, those states of meditation allow you to see things in the future and, and to allow your mind to go and find things and, and uh, get revelations from the higher dimensions, somewhat called the Akashic Records or the Akashic Fields now. That all starts with that ability to get into a state of relaxation and then slow your heart down, slow your respiration down, and your body enters into a state where it kind of separates. Uh, Ross Peterson once told me it was like having one foot on heaven and one foot on earth. You're in that in-between, and I like to describe it more exactly as that point just before you go to sleep. You know you're about to go to sleep, so you're still awake a teeny tiny bit, and you can feel the states of relaxation and sleep coming upon you. So at that threshold, that's where you aim, and if you can arrive at that point and maintain it, that is, you don't fall asleep and you don't wake up fully, that point your mind opens up and you have in front of you the ability to see things, to be clairvoyant, to see the future, to see across town, to go wherever you have your mind directed to. And it's kind of like when you see people who are in a, in a subconscious state of mind where they're suggested to do things or hypnotized. It isn't hypnotism. It isn't self-hypnotism. It's a matter of awareness. At that point, that threshold, I call that the quantum meditative state. It used to be called deep trance meditation, for lack of a better term, because trance was a medical term of, of saying you were in a deep state of, of um, mind, uh, not conscious mind. So, yes, I'm still able to do it, but as you can see, you know, that perky face is now 72 years old as of a couple of days ago. And hey, happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, but I don't need to go into that state where I have to set my conscious mind aside. The more you do this, the shorter that space, uh, if, I, if I can call it a space, occurs between being conscious and into an intuitive state of mind. As you practice over time, it comes down and down and down to when somebody asks me a question, I can see an answer very quickly as opposed to getting into a state of meditation and going out and searching for it. And that's the secret. Meditation uh, and practicing on meditation, like everything else, you become very good at it. And I'm the example. I'm the last of the... Uh, last of the Mohiggins, somebody once said, you know, Edgar Casey, Ross Peterson, myself, Paul Solomon, and myself, uh, last of the sleeping prophets. So I take that as, as, a, as a compliment uh, that I was uh, able to uh, manifest such, um, you know, prestige, if I can call it that, 
to be uh, considered similar to the great Edgar Casey and, and my mentor, Ross Peterson, and my colleague, uh, Paul Solomon, whom I never met, actually. And, of course, we've been on your show many times, and we have given uh, uh, prognications or intuitions or prophecies. And I think, Richard, you could attest to most everything I've made a prediction on your show has come true. Not exactly in the time we've made it, and not exactly as I said, but I would say anybody having a hard, cynical look at it, they would give me credit that most often I was right or accurate or I could see something that was coming. Would you agree? I would agree 100%. I, I've said this. I think I wrote about this. I wrote. The, I was honored to write the foreword to, I believe it was Gems of Wisdom, and I talked about our history together and how I, I, I started out our when we got to know each other, I was producing a, a late night program. I wasn't on the air. I was producing a show. And um, I guess your publicist at the time called up and, and um, I said, you know, I'm really not interested in having psychics on the show. And, and um, I was finally, I relented and you came on and I, I, I wasn't in the station listening at the time. I went home and I, to my apartment and I listened and you were doing some medical uh, intuitive type uh, questions and and which you were just knocking them out of the park and I was just blown away and uh, that was the beginning of what has become I guess probably almost a, maybe more than a quarter century we've we've known each other and and you probably hold the record for most appearances on this radio program and I and I still to this day I don't generally have psychics on the program but you, because you're more than that you're as a, you know as you've mentioned you're um, a remote viewer, you're a medical intuitive, uh, and your your record speaks for itself. Um, well, these days, Richard, we're taking on the title Prophet. Uh, I'm, I'm living up to that prestigious, almost, you know, mystical term. Uh, I don't want to sound religious, but it seems to fit what I do. We do spiritual healing. We do, uh, you know, this, this seeing the future. Because I've been on your show so many times and other shows, uh, I can boldly claim that I can see the future because the evidence is there repetitiously so many times. And I remember, as you were talking just now, those times how we, how we first came together, and you were a little, I would say, cynical, skeptical, but open-minded, which I think is uh, something that you can hold up as, as a shining star to, to letting people on the show like me and other people. You've always been curious, but you've been also very uh, um, practical, and uh, you're quite an intelligent person. I'm not trying to flatter you. The, the audience knows that. And so you recognize the truth when you see it. And, yes, I've, I've been on your show many times. We've enjoyed the ups and the downs. And uh, tonight we're going to talk more about what I see in the future. And it's not quite rosy, but uh, I always say what I see. And I remember the last time I was on the show, I was talking about shortages from Japan, how we were going to short, be short of jeans and T-shirts. And I could, I could sense a little cynicism in your voice there about, yeah, T-shirts, hmm, that's important. But what, <laughs> what it was, was foreseeing the cargo ships and the shortages of garments and products going across the country. And so we had seen it, and I said it. And there it happened thereafter. And that sometimes is how you see the future. You don't get the whole picture, but you get a hint. Right, right. Yeah, we, we have huge supply chain issues. 
um, the, the, these tankers are lined up outside. Is it Long Beach in California? Just as far as the eye can see. And that problem is not going away anytime soon. And that, in part, in part, is what is driving uh, inflation. Also, of course, trillions of dollars that have been, um, you know, just central banks printing money endlessly. Um, so let's let's start with uh, a prediction. Before we do, though, before we get into your your predictions and your visions of 2022. Uh, do they come to you in in dreams at night? Uh, you get up, you write them down. Do they? Do you do you set aside a time during the day to go into a a quantum meditative state, uh, or do they just come to you like these fleeting images, like T-shirts and jeans from Japan, that sort of thing? Well, the idea is that uh, being able to see the future. The more more profound and and uh, revelation uh, images come in dreams. Uh, many of the uh, predictions I've made on your show came in dreams. I remember when we were very early. You were still on St. Clair Avenue in Toronto. I I came to the show and mentioned that I had foreseen that the center of the Earth, the core of the Earth, was spinning at a slower speed than the crust of the Earth. And I didn't understand. I'm not a geologist. I have no engineering training. And I said, but it's going to heat up the crust, and it's going to heat up the oceans. And I predicted at that time up to maybe 4 degrees Celsius, which was disastrous. And I believe I challenged Dr. Suzuki on your show on air to check this out to see if this was something that was possible. Well, now we know it's a matter of fact. Scientists are have shown that the the Earth's core is moving uh, at a different speed than the crust, and indeed, we have this heat coming out from within—not green, uh, you know, house grass, gases melting the ice caps, but the heat coming from the bowels of the Earth, the crust, or the uh, core rather, going to the crust. I said that on your show because I had a vision or a dream about them. I'm very, very interested in uh, dreams and interpreting dreams because this is the time, the end times are here, and it says in the good book that uh, young and old, men and women will come forth dreaming dreams and having visions of what is going to happen. And so I haven't yet started another dream seminar. I had one not too recently, though, uh, and we're going to do it again because uh, this is one way people, the ordinary person, can have visions of what's going to happen to the world and to themselves in a way that they are warned and they are given direction or solutions, and uh, so that's that's the key. But in meditations, I made uh, I have made predictions for people, or people will come to me, and uh, and I would do a consultation for them, and they would ask me questions about the future, or in the case of the book, the New Earth, which I think eighty-seven of the predictions in that book have come true. There are many more talking about what is happening now. On your show, many times we talked about this time of chaos coming. And so that particular book was put together by doing uh, this deep relaxation, deep meditation, quantum meditation sessions in a research group of about 20 people back in 2009 and 10, and we published the book in 2011. So 2011, we were in writing, uh, making predictions, what was going to happen, and these things are happening now, and there's still more to come. So that was a deliberate look 
in a deep state of meditation. Uh, but I, I like the dreams because they're, they, they can't be adulterated. You're, you're kind of asleep. You don't have any emotional attached, any emotion attached to them. And you see beyond yourself amazing things. When I was in Europe, I had a dream vision of Barcelona in Spain being surrounded by two uh, lakes that look like parentheses. At a talk or seminar I was doing thereafter, a man came up to me in Spanish and told me that, you know that Barcelona has two rivers that surround it on either side. I said, I've never been to Bar Barcelona. But I had a vision, A, because I was in the country, B, because uh, it was something to give to the people that I had seen. And I was predicting at that time that the Mediterranean was going to rise uh, quite a bit. And soon thereafter, the Spanish government had come out and said the, Medi the Mediterranean Sea will rise between 5 and 15 meters. Now it made sense why those rivers going around Barcelona would flood and there would be two lakes. But I had seen that without being in the, in the area, knowing any of the geography, and it just came to me in a dream. Now, why it came, uh, that's the intellectual mind gets curious, and I try to throw that out and say, who cares why it happened, and therefore I can talk about it to the people in Spain, which I did. And several of the people that were at that workshop or lecture lived in those areas where the rivers were. So it basically was a message for them to maybe it's time to move or at least be prepared to flooding. Now, that was more than 10 years ago that I had that. Douglas, i got to take a time out here. We'll uh, come back. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, predictions, visions for 2022. If you have a question, get on board, 416-360-0740. Toll free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740, 866 740 for 740 and also for those of you in the YouTube live chat at Strange Planet we'll take your questions as well my live stream producer Ryan White will curate those and send those on to me uh, back with more in a minute don't go away exploring theories uncovering facts and offering a different view of the universe this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio to speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, S-Y because I love you, R-E-T-T. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell here with our uh, look ahead for 2022. Trans-clairvoyant, spiritual healer, teacher, published author, uh, some of the titles include The Complete New Age Health Guide, The True or the New Earth, A Prophetic View of Our Future, Gems of Wisdom, Conversations with the Akashic Record. All right, so let's just uh, cut right to the quick here because time is short. Uh, 2022, I mentioned earlier that uh, I am cautiously optimistic that Omicron may be the, um, the, the pandemic ending with a whimper. Uh, which traditionally, uh, you know, you go back to the Spanish flu, this is the way it ended. The variants become increasingly more uh, transmissible, but less deadly. And Omicron, at least in, uh, right now, what are we, six weeks in since the discovery in uh, South Africa, seems to be following that narrative. Is Omicron, according to your visions, uh, the end of COVID? Well, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that this, we're on the, on the back side of it. Uh, to start with, 
I was asked a question, uh, and a fellow who does this online uh, videos, uh, Ramstein Regalin's uh, YouTube video, in which I, when it first came out, the virus, I identified Mulan as the source. It was an accidental spillage. I described the building. I described a lot of details long before anyone else had uh, uh, had spoken about it or where this came from out of China. And I said it wasn't a serious virus. Like, it wasn't like a super virus, I think is the word I use. And again, I'm in a, in a state of meditation, and I'm talking uh, sort of in my sleep for people who might not uh, kind of grasp that idea. I'm, I'm, I'm in a meditative state, and I'm talking. So it's never been a, uh, in, that, in that essence of a super virus, it's been a simple thing. It was spoken about uh, in uh, 1981 in a, in a book, and I can't remember the title just now. It was uh, discovered in 19... Uh, oh, Dean Koontz. It was a Dean Koontz novel. Uh, yeah, that, you know, that's exactly right. So uh, it was, it's been in the wings. It's been there. And it was identified or named by a Canadian-British lady uh, who also, years ago, 1980-something, or no, I won't go into the date. Let me, let me just skip by that. And so it's been there. As you were talking, I'm, because my mind is, when it hears things, it, it starts to search. I mean, I've been doing this since I was 25 years old, and so I was seeing a downward slope like this. There is this flaring up of, of what's going on now uh, with this uh, contagious activity, but it's going to be short-lived. Uh, I've not seen that in a dream or a vision. I'm just seeing that now as we're talking. Uh, I was going to say something more like, uh, this will subside. It's not going to go away. It's going to be with us like AIDS and uh, herpes and hepatitis have been. But the research going into this, because as the universe gives us a big challenge or a problem, I have foreseen that this is going to, uh, in my dreams, I have seen that this is going to uh, lead into the discovery of how to uh, affect people with brain tumors, uh, Alzheimer's, and children who are autistic. Out of this research into these virus and the, and the subatomic world, which I believe I've, I've mentioned on your on your show ten years ago, there was going to be this new research into these the subatomic worlds. This is what's happening, and so because we're uh, uh, accustomed to how to deal with COVID, it's not going to take off. It's like it's like somebody it's a flash in the fire. It's what I'm looking at right now, like a big flash. So I agree with you, my friend, and I think you're you're. Um, uh, my announcement or, or your vision of this not lasting much longer is is going to be true. It's, it's not going to go away. We're going to have it for years, but like the other viruses, uh, it, we'll be able to live with it. So then the second question, and what concerns me more at this point than the virus, is government reactions to it. And people like uh, Dr. Robert Malone, who was on with uh, Joe Rogan recently, a huge platform there, obviously, talking about mass psychosis, the formation of mass psychosis around the world, and, and whether governments are panicking in their response, whether they've painted themselves into a corner and now don't know how to extricate themselves from this. I'm talking about the reaction, the restrictions, the lockdowns, the vaccine mandates and passports and so forth. My concern is that while the actual variant and, the, and COVID may, uh, will, will likely recede, the reaction to it may not, and that what we're see what we were hoping were temporary measures may in fact be permanent, or at least certain 
politicians and leaders would like to see them as permanent. What are you, what are you seeing as far as that goes? Yes. Uh, the world has changed greatly. We're never going to go back to where we were just a couple of years ago. The world has completely changed. Uh, whether it's a psychosis or whether it's a patterning or whether it's propaganda or brain, uh, brainwashing, or whatever term we want to put on it, that people are spending way too much time in front of a computer screen. Uh, and that means that their mind is being uh, changed or altered. I'm talking about their way of thinking. So is the, uh, are the governments going to take advantage of us? Yes, they are. I've often said that uh, politicians aren't really knowledgeable. They're reactionary. They ask for polls. They get experts. And then whoever, in my personal opinion, whoever they're talking to who makes the best argument or whoever they spoke to last, that becomes policy. But there's a certain resistance, and this resistance is that we're becoming more independent thinking. There are some people who cannot be independent. They are just, um, they're, they're easily led. And those are the people who are doing really strange things out there. But I would agree with you that there has been this propaganda, this uh, mind conditioning, uh, this education that's taken people beyond what they would nor- what we would normally call their conscious state. And part, part of my predictions are that, you know, this, this change in political um, views, this extremism that we're seeing, this is part of what's been going on in this pented-up time of, of COVID. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend I know what I'm talking about as far as a scientist or a teacher or an educator. I'm feeling that there has been this uh, interruption in our thinking, and it has caused extremes to take place. There's been more inventions and discoveries made at this time than an ever time before, speaking to a patent attorney in Kentucky. There has been more horrific things done as well, unnecessary violence. And so this polarization is affecting our, our, our basically our thinking and our personality, who we are. So I agree that this, this particular situation, I can see a pathway in front of me leads to advantage uh, sorry uh, us being taken advantage of by political uh, people who are not benevolent they're they're pretending to be our friend and they're leading us down the garden path i can see like a lamb being led into the slaughterhouse in my mind as i'm saying that so i would agree with that i would say this is a time of extreme uh let's say let's say it's a time to have extreme caution because what we're being told is not the truth so how does it end does it end when I say it, uh, COVID, the restrictions, let's talk about just here in in Canada, okay. Ontario. How does it end? It doesn't end. It continues. Okay. Where we're going to be affected is what's going to happen to the world. It's going to be a great time of difficulty. Volcanic activity is increasing. Whether extremes are occurring, and I've spoken to them on your show, my friend. I'm looking down at your picture on my screen instead of up at the camera. Pardon me for that. Uh, we're going to see more flooding and volcanoes. Watch Mount Etna and Mount uh, Vesuvius. When you see the two of them going off, it's the beginning of the countdown where we're going to go through the fifth world uh, destruction. And we're headed in that direction now. Uh, the things we talked about momentarily ago about the uh, the uh, core of the Earth heating up, 
The ice caps are melting, which again we've spoken about on your show. You and I have had conversations about that on air. And the earth is wobbling, the, the uh, equator is bulging in and out, nobody understands why. Well, because it's like a, a rubber balloon, the earth has not the stabilizing caps of uh, the Arctic caps as it had. And so we're going to see more earthquakes. Look, uh, Spain and the Mediterranean, we're going to see earthquakes. We're going to see a huge earthquake that's going to come up the Great Lakes. And uh, I have seen, I think I mentioned on the last show, that the Canadian Parliament buildings are going to slide down into the river because they're going to be, the earthquake's going to change it such that the whole building, it's like a ship, I saw it, going into the water. There's going to be more animal diseases. There's stuff going on in France and Europe right now where we have, uh, let's call it bird flu. I'm not sure what the scientific name is. That's going to transfer itself over here into the world, in the Western world, where we're going to see uh, shortages of meat, meat products. And we're talking large animals and small ones. Uh, we're going to see chaos in, in more of our weather. Uh, we're going to see uh, difficulties that we, we haven't quite imagined yet, like tornadoes and earthquakes coming up through Kentucky and Tennessee, the weather patterns going from the Gulf to towards Maine. And these are the things that are going to change because we're going to run out of products. There's going to be shortages. Uh, of everyday products, and I'm not talking about tomorrow. Uh, we've been talking about things like this on your show for a while, and I, uh, on my own radio show as well, The Global Village, and on my website, DouglasJamesCottrell.com, and my book, The New Earth, as well. I'm not trying to plug. I'm just saying that I have these things out there. And so, is this the big uh, the disease? Is this the big scare? No, this is the red flag. This is the red herring. This is something that's a mirage. What's really going on is the extreme and the, the political nature of, of who we are around the world. And also, the world itself is reacting, because the Earth has a consciousness of its own, shall we say, and the way we think is what transferred into the, con into the, uh, yeah, into the continents or into the planet. That's Douglas, i got to jump in here. We're going to take a time out. But it sounds like uh, while COVID may be winding down, it's really just the beginning of a whole host of other problems heading our way. We'll pick up on that on the other side. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell, douglasjamescottrell.com. Two T's, two L's. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell is back with more in a moment. Don't go away. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, Douglas, this is a short segment, so let me see if I can just um, uh, pin you down on a couple of quick items here, and uh, and then we'll we'll take some questions from the YouTube live chat. Inflation. Um, when people talk about hyperinflation, they think of Weimar Republic, 1920s in Germany, where a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread, or they think of Argentina in the early 80s when Argentina decided to, uh, I guess, um, you know, get rid of the, uh, you know, tying their currency to the U.S. dollar, and they had hyperinflation. Zimbabwe, of course, in the 1980s. We, is that what we're looking at here in North America, North America when we talk about hyperinflation? Or are we simply talking about, let's say, double digit, like, you know, 10 percent or, I don't know, 8, 9 percent? What do you see? Okay, well, 
there's two different things that you mentioned there. Uh, I played the commodities when I was in my uh, uh, early mid twenties. I have some understanding, self-taught, which means I lost a lot of money and I gained a lot of money too. Uh, it's not going to happen where we're going to have wheelbarrows full of printed money to buy loaves of bread. It's not going to happen. We are moving towards a cashless society. Again, not to belabor the point, but we in the past had said that this is in the future where we're going to be. With Bitcoin and all these other online currencies, we are headed to a cashless society. Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to turn out, but we're not going to have um, wheelbarrows full of, of, ca of uh, printed money to buy things. What we are going to have is high interest rates, and we're going to have very creative, uh, almost... Um, I would say quasi uh, lawful, or uh, well, let's just use, use a term and say quasi uh, not not friendly to the people. Interest rates, and so we could look at 20% interest rates. I lived through 1982 to 86, where interest rates were 27%, and people were just taking their keys of their house back to the bank and saying, "Here, keep it." Their interest rates were 12 and 13%, and during those times, they doubled or tripled almost. So we're going to go through that again. But we're in too much of demand. There's too many consumers right now. The products are available, although the shipping, as we just mentioned about uh, from the West Coast, is not. But what's going to happen is we won't fail like we had the 19, uh, 1920s. But I have been saying this for years. Silver coins, gold coins, portable property, precious stones, semi-precious stones, and seeds Seeds to grow things are going to be of great value, and you should be stocking up. You should be stocking up on other uh, t tangible things that will last, and, of course, you should have some food. If you wish a time, you should have enough food or products to last for a, a timeout time of 18 months. If you can do that, you have no fears. And most importantly, get out of debt. Debt is slavery. I've been saying that on your show, my friend, for years as well. We are not going to head into that hyperinflation where scare tactics of you're going to have to take all your money out of the bank, uh, but we are going towards a cashless society, and I'm comfortable with it because we're already seeing people buying cars with credit cards and being, buying cars on, on like vending machines and things, like, things that's foreign to me. So as we move towards this time, uh, take care of your finances. No debt. Stock up on things. Be prepared for shortages because those are coming. Really, really difficult times are coming. I've been a prophet talking about this before, but now I'm urging people, pay attention. This is what's happening. But I don't think we're going to have printed money being run around buying a, a loaf of bread like it was in, in, uh, in Germany and other, uh, other times like in the 20s because we didn't have the social uh, network. We didn't have the demand. We didn't have the Internet which is a very powerful social tool, and it can persuade the minds of, of millions of people in a moment. That's the power we have to protect ourselves from the politicians who are incompetent, to the business people who are greedy, to those people who are taking advantage. So we're not going to... Uh, we just have a couple minutes here before the break. Let me go back to the reaction to COVID. Lockdowns, vaccine passports, mandates... Where are we heading with that in 2022? Let's let's stay within the year 2022. Are we going to get relief? Are we going to see, at least here in Canada, um, some of these restrictions lessened, walked back, disappear? Right. So in our country, 
we're not going to have passports. We have these things we have to show. They're not really passports. I don't want anybody to think that you're, you know, I have friends who are not vaccinated, and they are playing by the rules. They, they do their business online. But so many people are vaccinated now that the consciousness is moving away from, you know, fear. Oh, my God, we have to stay home. We have to mask up. We have to do all these things to isolate so we don't see, touch, or even talk to one another. Because we are in a state where we are prepared and we are doing these things, what's left? Nothing. So the politicians can't order us to, you know, isolate and stay away from each other because it's just not practical. We've already gone through the huge problem with businesses going under. The country can't afford that. People can't afford it. So as a prophet, as a person who's seeing the future, yes, it's difficult. It's going to be uh, harder times. But right now, the way it is, we're okay. And it's going to continue like this because we're thinking, we're intelligent, and we are practicing good, you know, distancing and all those things. There's not going to be any more. There's not going to be any. I've heard rumors that that people who are very wealthy want to kill us all off. Not going to happen. We have power as as the people right here on the internet. We can communicate with one another. But there's nothing left. They can't. But will the will the passports? So, for example, will the unvaccinated? be allowed to travel on trains and planes again i have i have to my to my unvaccinated friends and clients i've said uh look at the look at their condensing it's not 10 days it's five days it's not six feet it's three feet uh people can go across the border and come back without being uh, checked or it was a little while ago and i said people are now who are not vaccinated you know everybody's vaccinated to a point that they can't adulterate, they can't affect us, so they're gonna be tolerated, and then everything's gonna be smoothing out. So my intuitive answer to that is, don't get ahead of this. There's gonna be more restrictions in as much as what we're doing now, but as you uh, wisely said at the, off the top of the show, we're on a downward slope here. So I'm, I'm predicting that people are not vaccinated, uh, playing by the rules, uh, are, they're gonna be merged back into society. We need more nurses and some of the nurses are not being vaccinated. We need more We need more football players and basketball players, and some of them aren't vaccinated. So we're gonna to tolerate that, and I say that, I'm not, not by us, tolerate that as a society, and the leaders, which are reactionary, they're gonna say, well, the people agree, so, well, I guess it's okay, and begrudgingly, they'll relent. I don't, I don't see right. any fear that they're gonna come and get us and make us do things. I, unbelievable, that's not, not gonna happen. Some good news. All right, Douglas, stay put. We'll come back, and I will get to some YouTube live chat questions. Dr. Douglas James Cottrell stays with us. His predictions, visions for 2022, back with more in a moment. Don't go away. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. DouglasJamesCottrell.com. C-O-T-T-R-E-L-L. DouglasJamesCottrell.com. Do you have any um, uh, upcoming courses, remote viewing courses, uh, dream interpretation courses, anything we need to know about, Douglas? Uh, All of the same. Just before I say that, I I just looked at my notes here. On your show, you remember I predicted that there would be a a woman president. We thought it was going to be Hillary. And although Hillary won the popular vote, she didn't make it to president. And you gave me some flack on that on Coast to Coast. But (laughs) uh, 
This, I did, yes. Yeah, you did. Uh, but here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm going to... Kamala Harris was president around November the 19th or 20th. She was the first female president of the United States for about 80 to 90 minutes. Correct. So that's a prediction coming true. I said when she becomes president, it didn't say when she was elected. There was This was in Quincy, uh, Massachusetts, I believe, and I was saying when she becomes president, something's going to happen. I don't know what, what the something was. It was back when I was in Quincy a few years ago. But that's come true. So I, I, I wanted to get that out of my notes because I was putting it down here today, and I said, yes, right. I said on Richard's show that there was going to be a female president. So anyway, what I'm plugging for now is that um, if you want to come to a spiritual uh, sanctuary and find out how to develop your intuition and your gifts, uh, we have uh, international schoolofdeprophets.com, a website that talks about how to develop your abilities and also to participate in our international church service. We're calling it that because we have to, but because we're a nonprofit. Uh, it's an international church service, and it's free, and you're welcome to come. It's by Zoom. And uh, this is now we have people from different parts of the world tuning into us. If you want to be part of that, if you feel drawn to that, that would be something to do. My book, um, The New Earth, is available, as there are other books. They're all discounted because of COVID. And the website is, as Richard has said, my name, DouglasJamesCottrell.com. And you can Google my name, and I come up in almost a million places. I've been around long enough uh, that that happens. So we have uh, courses and dream, uh, an dream, how to dream and dream analysis coming up. They're not set in time. But um, uh, if you're interested in developing your own intuition and you want to come to a spiritual uh church, a Christian church, if you will, and interna we're international, but we're interfaith. That's my, that's my plug for what I'm up to these days, my friend. Okay, let's go to the YouTube live chat questions. Thinker asks, what would you say, uh, Douglas, what would you consider your most important dream ever? Wow. Uh, well, I've had spiritual, uh, deities appeared to me in my dreams i would call those visitations i am putting together a dream book a dream vision is something you see a visitation can be from a relative who's passed on or it can be a visitation from a deity and i've had some pretty powerful ones 18 of them have showed up over the years but uh, i can't uh, if i were to say anything before my daughter passed away we had a dream that she was going up to heaven and uh, that happened a year later I guess I could call that was important, but um, there's been... All right. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I can't think of anything specifically, although I've had dreams about warning people who were going to get into trouble, who were going to be in accidents, and uh, by telling them they avoided the accident, they put their seatbelt on, uh, and they went through the accident, and they survived, that kind of thing, where you tell somebody, hey, you were in a car accident, uh, make sure you wear a seatbelt. They did, and that was my daughter, actually. But um, it's hard to say. I've talked to um, deities. I've talked to leaders uh, uh, in, in my dreams, leaders of, of the world, and, uh, gosh, it's really hard to pick out one. All right. Uh, YY asks, uh, Douglas, can you tell us 
your well, you've sort of alluded to this, your sentiment on the markets as far as possible future crashes, recessions and housing markets. Let's talk about housing markets. Are, are we going to get a, a housing crash? Um, uh, what's no. happening in the housing markets? Let's say for this year and next. Yeah, for this year and next, nothing. I just see a line going sort of, well, can you see that? Sort of like on about a 30-degree angle. Uh, people are going to continue to buy property and own it. That's why the prices are so high. So it's not going to be a crash. There's, uh, real estate, uh, to have wealth, you have to own property. Don't be in debt. Own it. And uh, I, I can't see any, any, any bottoming in the real estate market at all. Very quickly, price of gold up around eighteen hundred. I remember years ago when gold was around eight nine hundred. You said it's going up to sixteen hundred, and it did, of course. Where is it heading uh, this year? Uh, soon, it's going to take off as well as silver. I'm, I'm. It's eighteen hundred dollars, which is I think we predicted on your show one time. It was seven hundred dollars. I think I was on your show and said I had a dream and said it's never going to be seven hundred dollars again, and it never was. Darn, I didn't buy any because I didn't have any money. <laughs> so. Anyway, eighteen hundred easy, twenty four hundred's next. Thirty six long range. All right. Uh, Craig Hunt asks, have you seen anything in regards to UFO ET disclosure? Yeah, we've talked about it on your show too. Uh, uh, we saw a big, a big uh, vehicle over Texas someplace, and it showed up in the newspapers. That was a few years ago. Uh, the disclosure's out there. Those YouTube video, those those videos that you're seeing out there in social media, they're real. But what they're saying is, we're not sure if these are off-world vehicles or there's some other government that has them. I think they're off-world. So are you are you foreseeing any sort of uh, announcement? NASA apparently has assembled a group of theologians uh, to prepare mankind for. Uh, I guess contact. What are your? Do you see anything in the? It, let's say in the next two to three years regarding an official disclosure. Yes. Whenever you see government starting to talk about something, oh, maybe this is happening. Maybe we should investigate it. They're venting. They're preparing for us. There is a formula on how they um, they don't indoctrinate us, but they they let our let us become accustomed to it. So somebody says, you know, there's those. Military guys on those, those videos, we saw those jet fighters are firing UFOs. Oh, yeah, I saw that. What's for lunch? This is what's happening right now. They're preparing us for, for uh, contact. Yes. All right. Toxic Canadian asks, uh, have you seen anything in regards to the new Madrid fault line? Yes. There was an earthquake 4.4 in Welba this morning, or now yesterday morning, and uh, that's going to that's gonna shake Madrid at the... The water is going to come up around Spain, uh, around the coastal areas. Uh, somebody else I know has seen people walking in from the sea, and that was maybe San Sebastian. I had seen the water coming right up uh, in the north part of Spain, and, uh, and this other person was Polish, so it's maybe going to happen in Poland. Uh, but I haven't seen, you know, the Pyrenees are safe. That's the backbone in Spain. But around them, there's going to be more quaking and shaking. Yes, absolutely. All right, uh, Douglas, uh, let me see now. We, um, we've got about a minute here. You've, you've written a number of books. While you were in a quantum, quantum meditative state, um, the Complete New Age Health Guide, I think, was written while you were in, in, in a trance, and you dictated the entire book to your son, Douglas Jr. Right, any plans to do that again? 
Yes, there's uh, volume two, which will be lower body, uh, you know, stiffness, hips, muscles, tendons, uh, abductors, all that kind of edema, those situations. It's in my mind. We're talking about that. We're working on a dream book. It's more like uh, everything that goes on while you sleep because uh, visitations, out-of-body experiences, seeing the, you know, all those things that go on in, at night uh, that we call dreams. I'm defining it. I'm going to have a dream dictionary. So that's the next one that's going to come out, but the rest are available uh, provided I keep, keep on going here. So there's more books. The website's douglasjamescottrell.com. Pick up the New Earth book. It has, it's, it's got proven the predictions that I had said, uh, they're proven, they're there, and there's more coming. The ones about Syria and Turkey and atomic stuff. Well, look out, we're going to have some warfare over this Taiwan place. Uh, this China, China's not going to give up. They're going to take over Taiwan. Russia is going to ease into the Ukraine, and I think they might get some sanctions against the U.S., but there won't be any military conflict. And the real boogeyman is in North Korea. There's something really bad going on there. Be, be All right, clear. we'll keep our eye on that. We'll uh, we'll have you back soon. Can't wait to talk to you uh, when the dream book comes out. Fascinated by dreams, and I know my listeners are as well. Douglas, a happy new year, continued good health, and uh, all the best. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, my friend. It's a pleasure to be on with you again, Richard. DouglasJamesCottrell.com. All right, when we come back, high strangeness in Kentucky. Folklorist Steve Asher joins me next. Stay with us. Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Happy New Year, and thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and ah, your cabin in the woods. Carlos Kajina is the technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And we are live streaming on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and also my Rumble channel, Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. The unique Commonwealth of Kentucky is in our spotlight this hour. What is it about the 
bluegrass state that lends itself to so many tales of high strangeness? Could it have something to do with the Appalachian Mountains being among the world's oldest? There's the the Penny Royal Plateau, a geological and geographical area that stretches from Hopkinsville in the west to the Appalachian Mountains in the east and north to the rolling bluegrass of Lexington. The entire Penny Royal region is unique in that it's a karst region characterized by sinkholes and caves. There are haunted locations like the Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, but that's just scratching the surface. In fact, virtually every county in Kentucky, and there are about 120 of them, 120, has a tale of high strangeness, hauntings, cryptids, unsolved mysteries. And my guest this hour has uh, tackled every one of uh, Kentucky's counties. He's back with his second volume on the subject. Paranormal researcher Steve E. Asher is a native of Princeton, Kentucky. He's also a published author with multiple books to his credit. He's an artist, a podcast host, a musician. He's a fan of horror and paranormal subjects. Previously, Steve worked over 10 years in law enforcement and as a correctional officer. He's a long-term, long-time researcher of the strange and unusual. He's traveled worldwide in pursuit uh, to learn uh, of legends and folklore from other cultures. He's an avid lover of the nighttime. He said this is when he feels most truly alive in the darkness of the night and therefore most productive in his paranormal research and writing. His list of published works include Hauntings of the Western Lunatic Asylum, Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, Hauntings of the St. Vincent Academy, Short Stories for Darker Nights, Curious Counties from Kentucky, Dang Strange and Mostly True Tales, and his latest, More curious counties of Kentucky. Steve Asher, welcome back to the program. How are you, my friend? Thank you for having us here. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So I know I've asked you this before, but it it, it continues to confound me. Uh, Not only Kentucky, uh, but uh, you're a native of Kentucky, but the the whole Appalachian region. I mentioned, you know, the the age of, I think, the Blue, Blue Ridge Mountains next to a mountain range, I think, in South Africa are among the world's oldest, like over a billion years old. Uh, does that have something to do with with why Kentucky and Appalachia um, seem to be a focal point of hauntings and paranormal activity? Uh, what What is it? Is it the fact that it's a, you know, they have these karst regions, these subterranean levels to Kentucky, uh, caves and caverns. What's going on there? You know, it's one of those things that's, uh, you know, a lot of times these things come down to faith. I try to go on the scientific method with these things. But when you jump off into the elements of folklore and things of that nature, uh, you're going to have to, like you said, have that amount, that element of suspension of belief. Um, From the scientific part of uh, everything. Of course, car systems are full of water. Uh, it's more so toward the central and the northern part of, uh, of the state, but we definitely have car systems all through through Caldwell County and Hopkins County and the other counties right in this area. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of lime, limestone, granite, a lot of crystallizations. Uh, a lot of the caves here have tons and tons of spar, floral spar, things of that nature. And um, 
anything that interacts with electromagnetic fields, you know, just like, again, like a radio, like the old school radios that used to have the crystals in it, um, can channel and put out a certain amount of frequency. So, and we all know that humans respond to frequency, uh, pardon me, frequencies, uh, even in people in working on depression and things like that, trying to help people with a calming frequency. And then also on the more malicious side, people can definitely use certain frequencies to harm people without ever touching them. I mean, you've seen these in sort of black project weaponry and things like that. So uh, I don't know. I definitely think it's that. And the a lot of Kentucky was hunting grounds. It was sort of almost kind of considered a bewitched area. Uh, it was there to use, but it was almost like it was unclaimable because it seemed as soon as someone got on top of a hill, there was another person waiting to knock them down. And this goes pre-Native Americans all the way up to today. There always seems to have been a lot of blood on the ground. Right. So you had the, is it the Shawnee and the, the Cherokee, uh, two of the more uh, primary Native American uh, tribes in, in the state? Uh, did, were they warring constantly? Was there a lot of bloodshed between those those tribes as well? Well, honestly, again, that, that falls under who you speak to. Uh, I know there was always uh, that natural, what, what would you call it? Uh, everybody was jockeying for position. Everybody wanted to make sure that their that their tribes and whatnot was able to survive and uh, you know flourish and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously there's there was warring between tribes. And it was just one of those things that some some were a little bit more hardcore than other ones. I know, like, uh, again, there's so many places here that's named after, like, uh, Chief Parduk and uh, Chief Katawa, things like that, just in the little town of Katawa, or they call it uh, Katawa here, a little variation on the original name. But it is one of those things to... Uh, one of those things you kind of got to step back from it and can kind of look at some of the fossil records and things like that. But yeah, yeah, there was a lot, there was war going on for sure. And then during the the Civil War, you had you had, I mean, there were counties that were pro Confederate, and you had counties that were, I guess, pro Union. So Kentucky was really a hotbed. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of conflict there during the during the Civil War, right? So a lot of bloodshed and. Then you had, on top of all of that, you had, uh, because Kentucky is so rich in resources, you had coal mine disasters, and you had prospecting and, no doubt, you know, battles over the silver mines and gold mines. And so I guess all of that kind of comes together in this this great stew of, of uh, you know, hauntings and paranormal activity uh, and so forth. Now, here's the question for you. Why does Kentucky have so many counties. There are 120 by my uh, my figuring. Is that right? That's correct. Um, why why so many? Honestly, I believe it was probably a situation where you got to remember after uh, like Revolutionary War and things like that, this was sort of the virgin area. This is, you know, originally Kentucky was known as going to be called Transylvania, which is the land beyond the trees. And which I totally would have loved if this we called Transylvania, our new Transylvania. <laughs> I'll bet, yeah. That. It would have served my needs very well. But um, there were so many different people as part of their their pensions and rewards. You know, there's 
there's not this this Nat Bridge. There's a you know Draftonville General Draftonville or whomever. Everything is named after somebody or something or somewhat. And um, but you know I think it probably had more to do with that. I think it had more to do with the you know there were several you know counties that were broke down or had been a seat of one of the other three to four counties. Things morphed and shaped as time went on. Okay, so let's begin. Uh, and again, this is the second volume. So in the first volume of Curious Counties, I guess you tra- you tackled, and you, these are all alphabetical, so you tra- tackled the counties from A to uh, uh, J. And now, more Curious Counties picks up with K. Counties beginning with K, which takes us to Knox County, Kentucky. Was this, this was the home of Daniel Boone, was it not? Right. Well, and, and you know, and again, what's so funny is that <clears throat> when uh, this is back when before, obviously there was highways. Everything was off of a hunting trail. That's why we have so many darn accidents here. I mean, deers are everywhere, and it's like, well, why are they all on the road? Because we decided to take over their hunting trails, and because it was easier to lay down streets. Um, but yeah, he was very, uh, very big, uh, and obviously in this area and in, in Kentucky folklore. Um, and as you'd mentioned, there was a lot of rich coal deposits and things like that, and a whole lot of different reserves, oil reserves. A lot of people don't realize that we do have oil here. Um, you know, obviously natural gas is a big thing. But there were, uh, you, you were talking about, there's an area <clears throat> which known, is now known as uh, Gilliam Hill, which uh, Daniel Boone had helped map and do all that. And a lot of people refer to this spot as Booger Mountain. I don't pick the names, folks. That's I won't ask like why. <laughs> well, no, okay. Uh, booger here is like a, a booger is like a s- scary kind of entity. A, a haint is a ghost, things like that. Um, it's just the little southern twist that, for whatever reason, there it is. You know, okay. don't try to don't try to understand it. Don't try to change it. Just go okay. Uh, it's All right, you have to Booger go Mountain. Booger Mountain. And uh, it was very strange that some years later, and I'm sure you guys have probably heard of things like like the old ghost stories, Red Savine, right? You know, all those haunted 18-wheelers. And this is, I don't know if this is the start of that or not, but there was supposedly a, a spectral Saturday night visitation by one of these 18-wheelers. And it's a situation where they would almost run people off the road. I mean, people would seriously come up, you know, almost go off down into the off the Appalachians and stuff. And they would come up and they're trying to get over and they're trying to find some way off the road. And uh, what would end up happening, this thing would either barely miss them and or in other situations actually partially go through the side of the vehicle where the driver is. And you would see that the passenger would watch that go through them in this sort of holographic rush you know, think of like Ghostbusters when the uh, the old uh, was it like a sub uh, subway or something come ripping through past one of the guys. You know, and he's sitting there, sh- very very shook. It's very much like that, except instead of being on the ground, you're several thousand feet up in the air. And this is something that uh, had continued and and still does. You know, and a lot of times people will avoid certain areas, especially on Saturday nights, due to that fact. So, um, how how far back does this specter of a, a ghost um, truck go? Well, 
you know, uh, they really found a lot of these reserves probably around 1900. And, uh, I, mean, I mean, we've had automotives for a hot minute. So, I mean, there had always been, again, Booger Mountain. It was, it, that was way before the, the semi come into play there. But there had always been high strangeness, to, to quote the late, great Art Bell, going on up, up and down that mountain. Have you ever been on that stretch of road? I have not. I, I was able to uh, travel out in eastern Kentucky, up around some of the Appalachians, out where we discussed like the uh, Kentucky meat rain in the, in the previous book, and uh, around uh, Allettsville, Kentucky. And uh, but yeah, I've, I've been able to go down, you know, check out uh, you know places in Tennessee along the trail and whatnot. So, but that particular spot, I have not. I'm not sure if I want to, you know, especially on a Saturday night. Right, right. So from Knox County to the next uh, county alphabetically is LaRue, and this is the childhood home of Abraham Lincoln. So much history here. We just talked about Daniel Boone in Knox County, and now the childhood home of uh, the 16th president, LaRue County. What's happening there? Well, you know, as you'd mentioned, this this was the childhood home of uh, Abraham Lincoln, and, and it's one of those things, um, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, as a Canadian, you know, you know there are certain stereotypes. And they're not always bad. You guys are you guys are very very polite. Uh, I will give you that. And uh, but then they also have certain things going. Well, no one can in the old days. Obviously, there were civil war issues, but we're going. Hey, that's this is our president. This is wonderful, and and we cling to those relationships. You know, and it's it's really fun to be able to, like you said, have presidents come from there. Um, you were talking about talking about that county. Uh, Hodgensville, Kentucky, is, was actually uh, the county seat of that, and uh, it was around 1816 that the family moved from there onto Indiana. And this is right around the same time Mary Shelley had, you know, wrote the Frankenstein, uh, Frankenstein novel, uh, and it was something that happened. There's a thing called uh, the Mount Tambora explosion. Okay, I have heard of like the Great Russian Explosion that happened many, many years ago, but I'd never heard anything about this. But apparently, it was one of the largest eruptions in recorded history. I did not know this. That's the great thing about when I write these things is like I had no clue. I had no clue about it, and uh, apparently, it had spread lava well over a hundred mile kill zone, blocked out the sun, killing a lot of crops, and there was a lot of. Uh, dark elements to this to this chapter um it touched on there were several uh several people that straight starved to death or froze to death just because they they didn't have the resources to make it and there there was no fema thank god for you know uh for whatever your belief on fema is you know if somebody can bring you some help especially with the tornadoes that we recently had uh it's it's good to see some outreach but obviously if that wasn't there but not only was the starvation element there the the death of that then again people would loot turn violent on each other that's that common denominator and sadly sometimes people go go for the most uh, most basic the survival element and sometimes it means taking someone out and it's unfortunate and but you know there were still again this story to that but the, the fact that uh it was just really weird it was just an odd very unhealthy situation and, I mean, people were frozen around hearths. I mean, that's what I'm trying to tell you. It, it's just like, just it was just horrific. 
Um, and and did it hit LaRue County particularly hard? And, and for those not familiar with uh, this volcanic explosion, I think it was in the South Pacific down in Bali, uh, that area. It was called the, the, um, uh, the year with no summer, because as you say, uh, the, the, you know, there was so much volcanic ash, it blotted out the sun. So there were massive, massive crop failures all over the world. Um, I don't know if it's coincidental. Is that why the Lincoln family moved out of Kentucky into Indiana because of crop failure or that particular area was harder hit than elsewhere? You know, I honestly think that's probably true. I believe that there were some issues for the family to begin with. I mean, if things had just went a little bit different, they decided to stay there and kind of just scratch it out and deal with it. You know, we possibly would have never had a Lincoln as president, much less, I mean, alive, much less as a president. Right, right. And so, as you point out in, in the book, more curious counties, people were resorted to, to uh, eating their pets, their horses, uh, in order to stay alive. I want to ask you about, this is a... Uh, an interesting story that comes from Laurel County, Kentucky, and a poor soul by the name of Reuben Ridge. We've just got about two minutes here, but tell us about Reuben Ridge. Man, you know, that's one of those things where, um, oh my God, it was so interesting um, because it, it's Reuben Ridge is, like I said, there's so many lush fields in that area um, that, you know, a lot of people obviously loved all that and, and stuck to a lot of the the faith and the things of their of their fathers. You know, that's one of those things a lot of times you will have you will have that kind of situation going on. Which is funny, um they had a thing known as the Battle of Wildcat Mountain up in that area. Uh that was during the Civil War and then of course there was a actually the first fried uh first fried chicken uh apparently began there and uh they actually have a world Chicken Festival, which is really strange, but um, but yeah, it is really odd that uh, there's so many elements of uh, of that along along with um, along with that particular story you're talking about. Um, now, he was this sort of gentleman. Um, he was he was pretty hardcore. Okay, he's a very hardcore guy, uh, and basically, they said. That the, the legend says that he was a very despondent and involved in a fit of depression over a recent breakup with his girlfriend that he had climbed on top of his green red pickup truck and loosed himself up, as we would say here, and uh, let his feet slip off the cab. Now, you will have people, if they're driving that particular place, they will have certain paranormal activity there. They will hear the sound of tightening ropes. They will have, uh, you know, the, the trees are cracking uh, sound. Some people say it's the uh, trees moving. Some people swear it is the fractured neck bones of this, uh, of this boy. So he hanged himself. In other words, he, he put a noose around his neck, fastened it to a tree limb, and, and jumped, got up on a, the cab of his truck and then basically just slid off and hanged himself. Right. Yeah, he just, he just let, go, let go of this world. And, again, I hate that um, some of these are dark. Some of these are dark stories. Uh, not of them are, but it is that situation where you do have um, you do have that situation. Of, do people uh, see? Do they real. see an apparition uh, 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 that they believe is Reuben Ridge? What I've understood is it's sort of like out, like because of the trees and the leaves, 
they will sort of see motion swinging, like pushing the leaves back and forth, almost like something's unseen, but sort of a human outline, not a full-on apparition, which that's enough for me. You know, Likewise. I, I don't Likewise. think I want to see that. All right, Steve, we'll uh, take a time out. Steve Asher, folklorist, and uh, his latest is More Curious Counties of Kentucky. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Steve E. Asher is with us, and he's got another one out just hot off the presses. Uh, More Curious Counties of Kentucky. Uh, This is really volume two, uh, and he's basically looking at High strangeness in each and every county, all 120 in Kentucky. Uh, this has to be just based on the uh, the name alone. It should be a movie. Uh, maybe there has been a movie made about cannibal cowboys. Where in Kentucky uh, do we find cannibal cowboys? I need to know because I'll I'll give it a wide berth. <laughs> Well, like you said, it's one of those things that you have, uh, you do have that element of uh, warfare. And it is sort of a thing where you're going to have, uh, you're going to have pretty dark elements come out. And, you know, there were certain groups, as we had mentioned before off uh, on, on another show, we were touching on uh, the elements of the uh, Hart Brothers. And we talked about some of their dark elements, red gangs and whatnot. Uh, and it was a thing of more or less um, not only just going in, being militia or, or, or mercenaries, to going straight on into just con- literally consuming everything about it. And that's that's what that situation was. You know, you're gonna you have certain people uh, not only just on the trail, but you did have certain people that would go and become more or less uh, pariahs, and they would systematically do this. And it wasn't so much like a Donner Party situation. It wasn't so much like a an issue where, uh, you know, you were trying to uh, it, it basically keep off the, uh, keep off the, um, what do you call it? To starve off starvation, starve off starvation. That's the only thing to say. But you know, push off starvation. Uh, you would have that situation of it. It was their. It was their love of uh, love of that of that human be, flesh. Yes, yes. Well, uh, human flesh and, and just the uh, the taste of it again. Because I'd worked in corrections before all this. You know, I'd. It's one of those weird conversations, weird conversations that you will have, and uh, what you know. You so you learn a little bit about it, and 
I've never, in, in my research, you know, of course, touching on like serial killers and whatnot, it makes you uh, kind of look at it and uh, and be like, okay, why? Why would why would you want that? What? Why? Why once? Why fifty times? Okay. Uh, and like well, how many victims that, did this? Uh, and was this one of the Hart brothers, or was it the entire family that were killing? They were serial killers, right? And they were they were eating their victims. Was right. Well, this was the Hart brothers, start, or just started, one of the Hart brothers? Well, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's uh, yeah, yeah. Them among others. You know, it was a thing where some people started as mercenaries. Some people would do things to put fear. You know, it only it really only takes killing somebody one or two people really, really badly to get the point. And that's what had happened. Um, but like I said, there was a situation where, like I said, the Hart brothers, they had rape gangs. They had, you know, whether they would kidnap women, you know, impregnate them, beat them, and basically turn them into, uh, you know, just sex slaves, just little sex zombies slaves. almost, really. Uh, and it would be a thing where you were left – with that thing of going, okay, this is life now, and um, so it is. It is just really. It, it's just like I said, some very dark chapters. Right. Okay. Uh, Leslie County. There is um, a story of something called the Yahoos, which I believe is also it's based on a Cherokee word. What are the Yahoos? Okay, the Yahoos. Well. You know, when that kind of goes back into dealing with some stuff with Daniel Boone and people like that, uh, the funny thing is when you had that that name, again, it was based on, a, on I believe it was a Cherokee word, and I cannot pronounce it right. I, I don't want to mis, mispronounce it, and I apologize. But it was one of those things where Daniel Boone had come across, like they talk about the Kentucky Wild Man, and referred to it as a Yahoo and so there you go. You're dealing with the uh, the thing of uh, a culture, a cultural kind of bleed over, where it becomes something else. And uh, this is right up around, if I'm not mistaken, Lower Devil Creek area, not too far from Beattyville. Uh, this is actually a, a, a very sacred place of the Shawnee Nation. And, you know, it's where, uh, obviously, a lot of people tried to uh, drill and get into silver mines. There was a lot of this, and there was a lot of fighting over those resources because they saw this as a very sacred place. Now, if these yahoos were maybe a precursor or another variant of Bigfoot, I don't know. But it did, did seem when they came and tried to more or less just do what they just run ramsack over over the planet uh, in that part of the country that's when that's when these sort of creatures appeared and uh you know it's just so strange you hear stories like that but and this is a very well respected you know especially during the time he an explorer you know, he's a you know a war vet a fighter a very solid guy in 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 the uh, circles he was in so you have to kind of look at it more than just uh is this guy 
having a nip, you know, on the, on the hunting trail or whatever. You know, this guy took his stuff right. very seriously. So, very, so in other words, Daniel thing. Boone himself had encounters with the, the yahoos, whether they were the wild men or Bigfoot. Uh, but you also bring it up to the, the reports from the early 20th century, so the early 1900s, uh, encounters with uh, female female Bigfoot who were um, terrorizing people, taking taking prisoners, killing small children? Yes, yes. And it's one of these things that, and again, I know there's a lot of big, Bigfoot hunters out there that don't want to hear that. And that's, I, I don't even know what to say. Uh, I don't have a, I don't have a, a dog in that fight, if you were. But um, there was, I believe Yahoo was, uh, was the pronunciation I was looking for originally. But apparently, yeah. You know, there was a lot of interactions that did include kidnapping, rape, and even child murder. Uh, I've heard of where apparently these creatures would, and I have to call them creatures because they they're not active or human, but they would more or less grab men on the trail, make them sex slaves, and they'd have like these sort of half-human offspring. And I don't know if maybe that is what, you know, you hear of certain Bigfoot that, have more human elements. You know, I've even heard some supposedly can talk in sort of a a little bit more of a sophisticated click style of uh, communication. But I don't know. I mean, they've never, no, nobody's have been uncovered, so who knows? But it's, again, I wouldn't have thought that. I wouldn't have thought that in Kentucky. I just wouldn't have thought we would have had anything like that. So uh, hybrid human Bigfoot uh, children basically running around. Yes. Unbelievable. All right. Um, we've got about three minutes here before the break. I just want to dial back to some of your earlier books. The um, the Kentucky, uh, the penitentiary in Kentucky. Did you work there? You were a corrections officer. Did you work in that particular penitentiary or was it closed uh, by then? No, no. Kentucky State Penitentiary is going to be open until, uh, man, I don't know. Uh, we... You know, we will cut and slice and butter a piece of bread six ways. Uh, that's just how, you know, it is in, in the South anyway. But uh, anything in corrections, every, it's going to have four or five lives before it's ever done. It's still up and running. Uh, they have made certain changes to keep up with modern health codes and safety issues and whatnot. But, no, it's still there's, – there's no sign of it shutting down. But, yes, I worked there uh, between there and the uh, what they call the farm center, which was a minimum to medium security facility. I'd worked there for over 10 years, and also I'd worked as a uh, deputy jailer in uh, that sort of uh, capacity before, you know, and, getting and into what I'm doing now. At the, the Kentucky Penitentiary, was it your, was it your, did you have a, a father or a grandfather who worked there on death row or? or? Well, okay, here, here's the thing. My pop, uh, who's no longer with us, he started out working as a prison guard back in, like, the 50s. So he started there, and his dad did not dig it at all. He did not care for it. That's because my dad, my dad's dad, was a bootlegger and counterfeiter, and due to the fact that his son was now working in law enforcement, he couldn't get jobs. Uh, it was uh -huh. my dad who said, well, you can get a job, just not the sort of jobs you're talking about. Uh, which is funny because he, my grandfather, actually went on to become a grave digger for the uh, for the local 
mortuary in Princeton. And uh, so I always say, what do you get when you have a, you know, a convict and then a prison guard for dad? You end up with a writer eventually. But, but yeah, <laughs> no doubt, no so, doubt. Well, thank God, uh, your grandfather, a uh, a bootlegger, counterfeiter, grave digger, and uh, his father worked in corrections. And then we have Steve what, Asher, folklorist. We'll uh, we'll take a quick time out, Steve. We'll go back and uh, delve into some of the more curious counties of Kentucky. Back with more on the other side. Don't go away. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Folklore, Steve Asher is with us. More Curious Counties of Kentucky. This is Volume 2. He takes... uh, a deep dive into each of Kentucky's 120 counties, and each has a, a tale of, of high strangeness. Now, we were going back to uh, your work as a correctional officer at um, Kentucky State Penitentiary. Um, you told me once that um, you were very curious. You went up to, um, I guess they call it like the Green Mile, and you sat in the electric chair. What was that like? Well... This is sort of uh, it's tradition. It's uh, it's a ghoulish tradition, but a lot of times they would take newer folks in, show them the death room, which to also state the fact that this is a very serious place to be. And so, some people would sit in it, some people wouldn't. I'm like, that's fine. So I was sitting there and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking like, okay, well, what what would these men be thinking about? So we're sitting there, and, you know, I kind of brace up. You know, I know they're going to tie your hands down, pull your legs up against the seat. And I'm thinking, what am I thinking right before right before the switch is tossed? And I'm thinking, only thing I would know to do, it's like if anybody had a big brother or whatever, and you know they're getting ready to frog you in the arm or whatever, punch you in the chest or something, you sit there, you brace yourself. You flinch, and yeah. Yeah, right. You kind of lock your lock your body, and that's the thing with electricity; it's it makes you seize up. And so, as I was thinking about that, I kind of grip my hands on the uh, on the wooden handles of the chair, which is known as old Sparky, and it's it's killed a lot of men. And so, anyway, that happened, and I kind of got up, and I I noticed it felt really weird. And I had kind of looked under the uh, under the hand pad, and there was all these little half moons. And I thought that was really curious, uh, these little brown or black half moons. And so I spoke to the gentleman, and uh, I was walking off. We were leaving and had sort of an odd feeling in the room. And I said, kind of had wiped, you know, kind of wiped my forehead because it was hot down there. And I kind of smelled something, and... and I had a weird smell in my hands, which I, I know what it is now. It's death. But um, I asked the man, I said, what's for those half moons under there? And he says, well, that's when they go into a death grip and their nails dig in and they just basically just steam. Their nails steam into the uh, into the wood. So that was that was a very wow. sobering and, you know, it lets you know where you're at for me. I, I always try to take the job serious and... uh so, yeah, that was a sobering moment for me. I'll bet. I'll bet. 
back to curious counties in Kentucky. We mentioned the Hart brothers, these uh, mercenaries who, who uh, were trying to strike fear into their victims. And uh, they had, as you say, rape gangs. And in, in some cases, I guess they would uh, they would eat parts of their victims. But there was someone who was sort of formally known as the Kentucky cannibal. He was a he was a gunfighter by the name of um, Helm, Levi Boone Helm. Um, was he was he related to to um, Daniel Boone? Uh, is that where he got his middle name, or do we know? I'm not 100 percent sure on uh, Boone Ham is what most people call him. Uh, he was around like 1828, I think he was born, and I, I don't know. I mean, he it could have been, could have very well been some uh, some distant uh, distant thing to him, which, I mean, obviously he, he was a mountain man himself, uh, you know, Old West-style gunfighter and serial killer. And that's the thing of where he uh, did have that panache for eating human flesh. Now, although it, some of it was in survival situations, but he, he really had no qualms about it and uh, had even been accused of attacking some of his, like, trail mates with, uh, he had like a Bowie knife. And he'd always want to be throwing that around and do all this sort of stuff. And, and he was he was very very, uh, what you call it, uh, well well versed in riding horses and throwing weapons and stuff like that. And uh, he he did very very well in the in in the circle of uh, getting out there and exploring and whatnot. But uh, he did he he was very much about you know serial murder and cannibalism. It just. I don't know. It's for whatever reason it it uh, kind of got into your system uh, for the better better part of it. And you know, there's a thing where even when he would kill people unrelated to this, there was always that element of him consuming them. You know, right? And, you tell uh, the story of him going back, um, killing somebody, eating them, and then he he himself was injured and then when he i guess he recovered he went back and he ate the rest of his victim yes yeah like you're going back for his kill he had actually said he said many the poor devil i've killed at one time or another and the time has been that i've been obliged to feed on them some more wow and he was so. defiant right to the end right when he was on the gallows yeah you know he 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 knew what he was it's uh it it is very weird to you know uh, most most guys have a certain element of repentance or even feigned repentance you know but no not this guy right you right here that um, he uh, he jumped from the hangman's box before it was kicked out from under him as a final act of defiance yes yeah, like I said right. he he was not gonna. Go gently into that good night. All right. We'll uh, take another quick time out. We'll come back with folklorist author Steve Ashers. We'll get to uh, some questions from the YouTube live chat as well as we discuss high strangeness in Kentucky. Back with more in a moment. My name is Richard Serrett. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Folklorist Steve E. Asher is here. He is here. His new one, brand new one, uh, 
is more um, curious counties of Kentucky. And um, were you affected at all by the uh, tornadoes, Steve? Here in Princeton, uh, especially where my my brother, I would, I would say, lived. He's he's uh, he's alive, but his his home is gone. The whole area out on the uh, south side of Caldwell was pretty decimated. Uh, nothing like Dawson Springs or Mayfield, Kentucky, but definitely there was uh, a lot of carnage. A lot of people didn't make it out. Um, so. I was lucky enough not to be on that side of town when that come through, but definitely have been, you know, involved with, you know, aiding, things like that. You know, we did, like, toy drives and stuff for the kids for Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's that's one of the good elements that I've seen so far. I, I don't like the people looting and all that, but there was that uh, – it, it did bring a lot of people together, which is what you're supposed to do in times of uh, – of dark times like that. Um, there was something right. I actually heard about that I was going to mention if I got a second. Um, yeah. There had been apparently reports of different situations of either be it a guardian angel or some sort of benevolent presence. Uh, there's been several people that we'd spoke to. I was actually in Mayfield today uh, visiting, checking on some family, and there were several different people that mentioned either having like a get down in the back of their head or almost had somebody felt like they pushed them down before the, before the, uh, the storm hit. There's been people that have talked about seeing, I don't know. I don't know what you would call it. There was a lot of lightning in this tornado. So it could have been any element. It could be, uh, the electromagnetic field, uh, being affected by the storm barometric pressure. But some people had mentioned what they thought they had saw was something, like that would be considered an angel. So, be it a guardian angel, I don't know. Mm. But it was, I, that just struck me as pretty strange. I'll say. All right, to the YouTube live chat. Uh, Von Strasberg is, oh, he's, uh, Von Strasberg is in the Rumble chat and is asking, Steve, do you have any stories about Laurel County? Uh, apparently his ancestors settled that town. Laurel, Laurel County, any stories? Yeah, let me, uh, I actually have my uh, thing here pulled up, so let me go to Laurel County. Let me see here. I'm sorry, I'm... That's okay, slower. actually, so for this one, we're going back to the first uh, book of uh, Curious Counties, because uh, more Curious County starts with the letter K. Oh, no, no, it would be in this book, because uh, mm -hmm. uh, it starts with K and then goes to L. So right. Laurel County, uh, Chapter 3 is Laurel County. Yeah, Laurel County was actually the one that talked about the Tambora explosion. Ah, uh, yes, that's uh, Abraham down. Lincoln's was, whole, whole town. No, there was uh, one I was going to say in L Laurel County, and uh, this it had to do, let me get back down there to it. Well, that was uh, um, the story of Reuben Ridge. Right, right, right. We talked Ruben about Ridge. yeah. We talked now, about Reuben Ridge. There's, there's there was the, another uh, one I was going to tell you. I just have to get oh. back to it. Where there had been an explosion, and we had talked about some mines, mine explosions and whatnot, and they were not for sure what what had happened, and but there was 
people reporting that supposedly that there was a, I guess you would call it a goblin. A goblin that had uh, apparently messed up some of the some of the uh, equipment, and this is a uh, like on the mountain. It's up on a oven fork, and supposedly this is this is in Letcher County. Uh, supposedly the comments was that the uh, grotesque sprites were rumored to live down in the deep crags, been waiting for anyone foolish enough to come to explore there in their in their region, as they lived in the belly of the mountain. Uh, and they were more or less doomed there for forever seeking out silver and gold. Uh, you know, again, it sounds really funny, but to this day, coyotes avoid that area. A lot of, uh, not a lot of people want to try to apparently build in that area. There just seems like it's just bad mojo in that area. So take it, take it for what it's worth. But, you know, is it without, you know, a possibility of being something like that? Who knows? Uh, Gary New or Gary Gnu, Gary New, I'm guessing, uh, asks, are there many Bigfoot sightings in Kentucky? Gary adds, I don't really think of it as a Bigfoot state. Well, you got to understand, I mean, there, there's still a lot of open, open areas in Kentucky. I mean, it's, it's very much, you know, a lot of lakelands, a lot of wild game, a lot of deer. So why not? A lot of cave systems for things to hide, you know, um, People don't think about Kentucky being like um, Mothman, but right across from you know West Virginia, there's, there's parts of Kentucky that are also affected with like the sightings of things that resemble the Mothman. So it, it's one of those things that I would not say it, it is as famous, obviously, as uh, parts of the uh, out west and, and up you know the mountains and Seattle area and things like that. But it's a uh, yeah, there's stuff going on. And, you know, you can t- also touch on things like, you know, goat band and things like that. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on. And, and, again, because most people, it's sort of a flyover state for some, unless they're about kind of getting into the pastoral areas and the history. But there's a lot more going on here than just, you know, bourbon and fried chicken. <laughs> I'll say. MacGuffin or MacGuffin County. Uh, tell me about this because there's um, there's something about a blood curse in McGoffin County. Right, like I'm actually bopping down it right now. Sorry, it takes me out a minute. That's all right. Chapter 14, McGoffin County. <laughs> McGoffin, yes. Well, it's uh, it's funny that the people there in that area. Uh, a lot of people were known as, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this, the uh, Magolgians, I believe. And it's actually an Arabic term, uh, and it's spelled Melongin. And it's more or less a, a derogatory t- term to these people. And, um, and it's just really, really strange because uh, there's people talked about lost tribes of uh, everything touching on with Viking pygmies, descendants of giants, all this different stuff is tied in to these people. And uh, it's, it's what's really weird is that, you know, they were able to do, like, DNA and then dispel this myth that, you know, all this was going on. But there was, you know, that talk of a blood curse and that these people were very much kind of pushed off, again, pariah-type situations. And that's where 
they were more along the mountain ranges and you know through eastern Kentucky, parts of Tennessee, Virginia, and even North Carolina, uh, even a few northern states as well, and that they have their own kind of culture and their roots. And they get, of course, ties up with Native Americans, African slaves, some elements of uh, Europe and whatnot. But for whatever reason, it's, you know, how it is. You're in a small, isolated area. It's very easy to become kind of demonized, especially if you have any kind of racial elements going on, you know, with the aggressors toward whomever. But it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because, like I said, these people have actually embraced their heritage and embraced their various roots and stuff like that. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's All right. Uh, think, better, Thinker uh, asks, Steve, what county do you find the most interesting or mysterious? If you had to pick one out of 120 counties, which one would it be? Steve, I know that's a hard question. Man. Yeah, that is extremely hard to say. Um, man, it really depends on what you're looking at. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at, I mean, I always had a thing, always had a thing for the, uh, for like the Kelly, the Kelly Green Man invasion, you know, when they talked about, you know, Kelly is up there in Hopkins, uh, Hopkins County, and uh, Geraldine Stiff and her family and stuff has really kept that alive. And it talked about basically there was a family in the 50s, and their home, their farm came under attack by a group of what they said were aliens. And they had a heck of a shootout. I mean, there was... Bullet bullets through everything, and it ended up having a lot of uh, national attention. At first, it was kind of like you know, all oh, these crazy rednecks are out there dipping into that corn hash, you know, whatever that mash. But it was taken seriously enough that the army came there, and the army supposedly took samples of stuff on the farm. So, for me, I just always thought that was really interesting that for a long time, these guys were kind of like the joke of the county, but at the end, they really had the last laugh because then that strange event became part of what the county was known for. It's a legendary story. Uh, legendary, attack of sure. little green men indeed. All right, uh, Steve, always a pleasure, and I'm going to talk to you on uh, Coast later this month. Looking forward to that. Actually, next week, we'll uh, we'll connect and we'll hear more Uh, Stories of Curious Counties from Kentucky. This is Volume 2, More Curious Counties of Kentucky. Always a pleasure, Steve. Thank you so much for this. Thank you again, and and, and God bless everybody, and, and have a safe night until we speak again. All right. Steve E. Asher, my thanks to Carlos Kajina, Ryan White. I'll be back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark? Speak in the light what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.